Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Wasn't that a great worship set? Thank the band. Will you give them a, a round of applause? I know they're in the back listening. You know, they work so hard at, at what they do. We're so thankful for all of their efforts. So as you can tell, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 3 this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you take it there and uh, turn there with us to 1 Samuel chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Did you write your letter this week? Did you write your letter? You know, over the uh, last few weeks, I've been trying to think of where, where should we be going as a church? What, what is the direction that, that God would have us go and, and how would he lead us in these days ahead? And I really sensed in my own heart and in my own mind that this whole concept and idea of legacy is where uh, we should start and begin. And so last week, we launched out with that whole thought of the idea of legacy. What kind of life am I living and what kind of legacy will I leave behind? You know, we can live a lot of different lives. We can live a lot of different ways and we can leave a lot of different stories behind us. The question that I brought last week, the question that we dove into, and as we opened Hebrews chapter 11, the question was this, am I living a life that will leave a legacy of faith? Am I living a life that will leave a legacy of faith? And we looked at the opening of Hebrews chapter 11. We knew that the writer of Hebrews referenced heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, and they were commended for their faith. That was their legacy. And so we began to ask the simple question, what does my life look like? How will I live my life to leave a legacy of faith? What do I need to do? F.F. F. Bruce wrote this, this uh, quote. He said, their faith, Hebrews 11, their faith consisted simply of taking God at his word and directing their lives accordingly. I think that's a phrase and a sentence we're going to hang on to over the next couple of weeks somewhere along the line, just refreshing our, our minds and reminding ourselves that their faith consisted of simply this, taking God at his word, and directing their lives appropriately. How about us? How about us? What kind of challenge is that for us today? And what does that look like for you and me? If we want to leave a legacy of faith, if we're inspired to do so, if we want our lives to look more than just the temporal and the temporary that is around us, what would we do? How would we live? What are the pragmatic, practical principles? Uh, you like that a little alliteration there, right up? You made that on the spot. What would we do to leave a life and a legacy of faith? How does it work? Because you and I, when we look at the different people in our lives, when we look at the different people that we think of, we think of the way that they lived. We think of the actions that, that they lived out. We think of in images and pictures. We think about their qualities and their characteristics. We think about the pattern of living that they lived. And we say, oh, man, I want to emulate that. If I could just be like them, if I could just uh, live a little bit like that, if I could just mold my life after those people, maybe, just maybe, I would leave a legacy of faith. So what does that look like? How does that work? What do we actually do? What are the actions? What are the boundaries that the people that we looked at, what are the boundaries that they lived with? 
What did they do living in the world day in and day out so that they could leave a life and a legacy of faith? Well, that's what we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to keep unpacking that question. What do we actually do? How do we actually live? What are the principles and the priorities that are important to us? How should we be living that uh, that out? And as we move throughout the fall and winter, we will keep this theme of legacy kind of as a banner over us. We won't have it in our face so, so in front of us each and every week, but it'll, it'll gradually move to more of a banner over us that we'll constantly be referring back to what is the legacy that I'm living and what will I leave behind. And as we do so, we want God to speak to our hearts, to guide us, and we want to be found trusting his promises and directing our lives accordingly. So today, we go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of First Samuel. And in this book of 1 Samuel, we see the life and the calling of Samuel as he starts out in the tabernacle under Eli. Now, just for a brief uh, historical perspective, just so you know, we'll put this into context. Uh, Samuel is the son of Hannah. Hannah was unable to have children early on. And so she went and prayed and asked God. And in one of her worship journeys to the tabernacle, she prayed with Eli that she would be able to have a child. God answered that prayer in a miraculous way. And because God did that, Hannah recognized God's faithfulness to her in, in her life. And she, she, in an act of worship, dedicated Samuel's life back to Uh, God in worship. And so she took Samuel as a child and took him back to the tabernacle to live and to work there under Eli as a young, young child. In, in our terms, uh, the, the, maybe, maybe in, a, in a, uh, a crude sense of the way, we could see it as, think of boarding school, right? Sending your child off to boarding school. This is a kind of boarding school. Hannah sent Eli, uh, Samuel to live with Eli in the tabernacle to learn and to worship and to grow in the, in the understanding of God and the, the, uh, the work of God in the tabernacle. So here's, here's Samuel as a young boy living in the tabernacle, doing ministry of the Lord under Eli, and we begin to see the legacy of Samuel take place and take shape. The first thing that we see is that Samuel was in a position to learn. Samuel was in a position to learn. And it started in actually chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. Chapter 1 verses 24 through 28. We didn't read that, but let me read that quickly for us. It says this, after he was weaned, uh, she took the boy with her, Hannah, the mother, uh, young as he was, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Here's that. Here's the scriptures to to what I just uh, shared with you. They brought the boy to Eli. She said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. The Lord granted me what I asked of him. Verse 28. So now Now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. 1 Samuel chapter 3, fast forward. Verse 1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Can you imagine asking in prayer for a child, asking in prayer for something so dear, asking for 
for God in prayers for something so, so precious and the Lord grants your request. And what do you do immediately? You return that child back to God. And not just figuratively, literally, literally. Taking the child back to Eli and saying, God has done something here. And I am giving my child literally and physically back and I'm stepping away. And I'm going home. When we come and worship, when we come to the time of year when we need to come, we will come and we will visit. But the day in and the day out, is the boy is under the care of Eli. Samuel was in a position to learn in the house of God. Samuel's legacy developed and began in that moment, in those steps, in, that, in the action of his mother. Samuel's legacy began to take shape and began to grow. His legacy of faith didn't begin when he accomplished something. Samuel's legacy didn't begin when he finally did something for God. Samuel's legacy didn't begin when he wrote a check or dropped an offering envelope into the plate or got on the internets and and went to the website. Samuel's legacy didn't start then. It started in his family. It started with a mother and a father who turned him over and put him in a position to learn. The decisions that that we make as parents, that, that we make as families, begin to lay the foundation of how God is going to impact our children and, and their children for generations to come. It is a generational decision. When we follow God and, and we place our children in a position to learn, we are doing something that will impact them for generations. If we believe God's word is true, somewhere it says, somebody testified to this this morning, God's word does not return void. If we place our children in a place of learning, in a place of understanding, we trust and we believe that God will begin to work in that child's life. Now, here's the problem we all run into. We begin to put the timeline on it, don't we? Right? We, we do that. So, God, I'm expecting that by the end of today, it'll all be worked out, right? Right? You'll hear me say something a lot um, over the next few years. This, we live in a microwave society, right? God likes crockpots. Listen, I did not say crackpots. I said crockpots. Hope we got that right on the live stream. God cooks with crockpots. We cook with microwaves. And we wonder why God's not moving and acting in the way that we want him to. And God's saying, just give me time. It's in a process. And it starts with learning. Are we in a position to learn? Decisions made for us when we were children and decisions we make as families with children under our care have tremendous impact and tremendous lifelong learnings. I remember when I was in school, I was this, I, I, I want to say it was middle school, might have been ninth grade, I'm not sure, um, but I, I was, I was uh, practicing, we were at football practice or something, and I remember that on Wednesday, my parents were pulling up in the parking lot, 
and picking me up early from practice to come to church, to come to youth group, to come to whatever we were doing here. I would jump in the car and there would be a tray of tater tots and nuggets or something, right? And I'm in, I'm in half uniform, right? On the way to learn. Those memories, those thoughts, those, those, those images stick in my mind. And what my parents were doing, we're saying, we're saying this, we are trusting a principle and a, a, a promise of God. We are redirecting our lives in a certain way. Hey, you're going to church this weekend. You're going to church this Wednesday. You're going to church, whatever, right? We've made it, whatever decision you make, and it's not, coach, do you think it's okay? It's, coach, this is the way it is. And we get picked up a little early, all within reason, like we get it. Like I'm pretty sure if it was the state playoff game, I wouldn't have been coming to church that weekend, right? We get it within reason. We get it, right? No state playoffs in middle school, but that's a different thing. My family said, this is a principle and a practice and a promise that we want to hold on to. We're going to redirect our lives in a certain way, and this is the way it's going to work out. We are putting our children in a place to learn. Someone wrote that the story of Samuel, the story of Samuel, by the time we get to chapter 3, thus far makes it clear that the life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. And the character of the home depends on the spiritual life of the parents. Samuel was put in a position to learn, but he was also put in a position to listen. Samuel chapter 3, again, the back end of verse 1. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel was in a place where he could listen. Listening for God to speak in our lives, I think, I think, is more art than science. It's a little more, it's, it's nuanced, right? For each and every person around us, listening for the Holy Spirit in our lives is a little bit different for each person around us because we're, we're all different people, right? We all respond to different things. We've been created in different ways. Some things that I think are funny, you don't think are funny. Some things you think are interesting, I don't think are interesting. We're all created in different ways. God speaks to us through the same Spirit, but in different ways. But we need to be in a position, not just to learn, but to listen. And it's something that we learn over time. It's it's more nuanced than formulaic. And it's driven by repetitive experiences as we learn in prayer to discern the difference between God's Spirit speaking to us, the difference between God is speaking to me and my desire. Through repetition, through different events, through time, we learn the difference between God's Spirit speaking to us and our own desires We learn the difference between God's Spirit and just bad advice from people. And we learn the difference between God's Spirit and exaggerated emotion. It takes time. 
but we have to be in a place to listen. It's interesting to me, as, as, as I read this story, the different subplots that come out in this story. We're highlighting, we're highlighting one theme right now in chapter 3, the, the, the call of Samuel and how he was in a position to learn and how he was in a position to listen. But, but it's interesting to me the subplot that, that, that is developing that's already back there that's playing out. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. You see, the sin and the disregard for God in the nation and specifically in Eli's house brought a quietness from God. It's almost as if God was saying, if you're not going to listen, I'm not going to talk. If you're not going to listen, I'm not going to speak. Notice, notice the correlation to the nation's lack of hearing from God and Eli's disposition. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and Eli, when the word of the Lord was rare, Eli, his eyes were becoming weak, and he could barely see. I don't think, I don't think God is telling us only the physical nature of Eli. I think he's telling us his spiritual heart. When the word of the Lord was rare, what did we notice in the judge and the priest of the nation? His eyes are weak and he can't even see. Leaders, may we pray that we never lose our zeal for God, that we would never lose our passion for Christ and a desire to grow. I wonder if as we grow weak and as we have trouble seeing, again, if it's more of a spiritual enlightenment than a physical one. So as the word of God was rare and as the leadership was failing, Samuel was in a position to listen, first of all, spiritually, because his family brought him there. God was already working in his heart and in his spirit through his family. His family was teaching him something about values and principles and priorities. And so that was already being stirred up in his heart. But he was also physically by proximity. He was in the tabernacle. He was next to the ark. He was near Eli in case he was needed. Not only was he being prepared to learn, he was prepared to listen because of his spiritual and physical proximity. He was in the place he needed to be to hear the voice of God when God called him. Samuel was in position, both in worship and practice, to listen. And then God spoke. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, hey, hey, here I am. You call me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went, and he laid down. And again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. Isn't it interesting? How long did it take Eli to figure out what was going on? He's the judge. He's the priest. 
Couldn't he have figured this out a little quicker? But why didn't he? Because his eyes were growing tired and he couldn't see. Because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It took him a minute to figure out. It took him a minute. It took him a minute to figure out that we're just not playing in the tabernacle anymore, but God's actually going to do something. You hear what I'm saying? It took him a minute to figure out we're just not playing around here anymore, but we are expecting to hear from God and God is going to do something and to lead us in a way that we have never thought of or or experienced before. God is up to something. And so Eli said to Samuel, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He's growing. He's in a place to learn. He's in a place to listen. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, but it's coming, right? A third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and said, here I am, you call me. Eli then realized it was the Lord calling. So he told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak for your, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I, this jumped out, I apologize. This did not jump out at me earlier this week until I was, I was, I was just rereading the, the passage this morning. This jumped out at me this morning. I don't have time to get into it other than to say this simple thing. Look at verse 10. Do you see the difference? Look at verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Verse 6, again the Lord called Samuel. Verse 8, a third time the Lord called Samuel. Verse 10, the Lord came in stood there. Hmm. God is now present. Not just calling. God came and stood there in that place and in that moment. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. See, Samuel in the moment didn't understand what was going on. Samuel in the moment was, was confused. I would think it's a lot like you and me, right? A lot like you and me at times in our lives. We get confused about what's going on. We're, we're a little uh, confused about what direction to, to, to navigate our lives towards. We're, we're confused about the world that we live in. We're confused about this or that in our culture. We're confused at times. We, we, we pray to God about certain things. We list certain things. We expect certain things. And when they don't happen, we don't understand and we get confused and we get thrown off track and, and, and we get, we get, we, we question what's going on. But what did Samuel do when all of that confusion and questioning was going on? He kept coming back to his mentor, didn't he? He kept coming back to Eli. He kept coming back to the priest. He kept coming back to the judge. He kept coming back to the one who was supposed to be tuned in. He kept coming back to the one who he served with and said, I'm here. What, what do you want? He kept coming back to him. He didn't turn a deaf ear. How many of us after three times would have just quit? Right? Okay, I'm the only one. How, anybody else? Like, like we just would have, we just would have like given up and, and we rationalize it, right? What was the TV on or something? Was the dog barking? 
right? Was it the pizza I had last night? Kind of like stirring, right? We rationalize it. I don't understand this. I thought I heard. It's not making sense. Ah, forget it. And we were to quit. Fourth time. Samuel didn't turn a deaf ear. In fact, what Samuel did is he continued to answer the call. He continued to answer the call. Even when it was misunderstood, even when it didn't make sense, even when we couldn't figure it out, he continued to answer the call. And when he understood, when it clicked and he understood, he made himself available. Here I am. Here I am. Are we in a position to learn? Are we in a position to listen? Now, quickly, let me drop this in here. Again, another subplot just to think about, just something, something to think about this. Look at how Eli was responding to Samuel. Eli mentored him to find God's best for Samuel. Eli mentored him, right? He didn't brush him off. Quit bothering me. Just get out of here, right? He didn't push him aside. He didn't say, you don't know what you're talking about. God doesn't speak anymore. Haven't you realized that? Eli didn't do that. Chapter 3, verse 8, then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. And he kept telling Samuel, go back and say, go back and say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Speak. He mentored him into the understanding. I find it interesting that Eli chose to do that because Eli's family was a wreck. One of the reasons that the, that the word of God was so, so quiet in those days was because of Eli and, and his inability to manage his home, was because of Eli and the sin that had come across, uh, from, from his family. Eli, in power and position, was now being shamed for what he had allowed to happen. And instead, instead of being prideful and instead of, of holding on tightly to his position, when he realized that God was calling Samuel, he knew what God was doing. He knew it was the progression. What did he do? He told Samuel, lean in, listen. And when he calls you again, say, I'm here. I'm listening. Eli, in his darkest moment, continued to mentor Samuel for Samuel's best. I wonder if we as leaders do the same. I wonder if we as leaders would have the courage and the fortitude and the strength as business owners, as vice presidents, as entrepreneurs, as people with, with uh, employees under us, do we look out for their best? Do we want them to rise up? Do we want God's best even in a, in a marketplace business? Do we want God's best for our employees as a witness back to Christ? Do we want their best? Are we living our lives with our, with our employees and those uh, that, that, that answer to us? Are we, are we putting ourselves in a place to be a good mentor? So Samuel was in a place to learn and Samuel was in a place to listen. And finally, we see that Samuel was in a place to learn how to lead. Verse 11, 
And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. I bet he was. And Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. Verse 17. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Did you hear the judgment? Did you hear the verdict? in the vision that God gave Samuel, a kid, an intern. And the boss comes to you and says, what did he say? What did the CEO say? What did the president say? Imagine being the intern. Ah. Not much. I think we're getting an email later. I think there's going to be a white paper later. Can you imagine being in that spot? Imagine the pressure that Samuel was under telling this news to his trusted mentor. This is not a warning that God gave Samuel. It's a verdict. And so I wonder if in some way, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 17 is not one of the most important verses in the history of Israel up to that point. Verse 17 was this. This was Eli to Samuel. What was it that he said to you? And in that moment, Samuel had a decision. What will I do? Will I speak truth to power? Would Samuel develop the courage and the fortitude to say and speak the hard things of life to people who need to hear them? Would Samuel develop the courage to speak the hard things of life to people who needed to hear them? Honesty, intense, tough, and challenging moments. Would he speak the truth? Eli said, don't hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely if you hide it from me. He's still mentoring. He knows what's coming, but he's still mentoring. Verse 18, so Samuel told him everything. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. All of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his words. In the days to come, Samuel would have to lead and speak in some very difficult and challenging times. Between the life of Saul, between the the life of David that is to come, I wonder how often Samuel 
thought about that moment in the tabernacle as a kid when he had to deliver hard news to Saul or hard news to David? How often did his mind go back to that moment with Eli, his mentor? Do I have the courage? Do I have the strength to speak hard things to people who need to hear them? But the Lord was with Samuel and he grew and he left a legacy. So here's a question. Are we in a position to learn? Have we positioned ourselves in life to learn what what it is that God is saying? Are we learning his priorities? Are we learning his principles? Are we in a position to learn? Are we directing and redirecting our lives in a way so that we can leave a legacy of faith? If I want to leave a legacy of faith, my question becomes this. Am I in a position to learn? So maybe this week we need to get back to things that we were doing a season ago in life that deepened our faith. Maybe we've let go of some things. Maybe we've moved on from some things. Maybe we've just forgotten and we just didn't pick it back up. Maybe maybe we can just sum it up to COVID, right? 2020, COVID 2020, it was a mess for everybody and I'm still a mess. And God is saying, time to put yourself in a position to learn. Maybe it's going back to something that we let go of in the past or maybe it's discovering something new. As we steam forward into the fall this year, our ministries are already beginning to plan and, and ramp up. They're already beginning to think about uh, how, how they're going to get uh, new people involved and connected and Bible studies and women's events and men's events and, and things like that. The question is, are we going to put ourselves in a position not just to participate, but to learn? Is it time to reposition ourselves? in a learning posture? Am I in a position to hear God's word? Am I in a position to listen when God is speaking? Maybe this week we need to find one practice, just one practice, one practice this week that would put ourselves in a position of listening to God. Maybe it's, maybe it's a a daily reading Maybe it's the Daily Bread booklet. Maybe it's, it's the, the Book of Common Prayer. Maybe it's something else that you supplement your scripture reading just so you can listen to God better. Or, or maybe it's, it's your Spotify playlist. Maybe it's time to, to up your game on a, on a new Spotify playlist of worship songs. Or, or maybe it's a psalm a day. I'm going to go back to a psalm a day. Maybe for you it's stillness or quietness or solitude, but something that allows our spirit to listen to the Holy Spirit. Are we in a position to listen? And finally, Am I leading my own life and those around me to honor God even when it's hard? Even when it's hard. Am I mentoring someone to listen and to learn and to lead so that they can see God's best for them? Now, we're not all going to be prophets. We're not all going to be priests or kings. 
But if we're going to leave a legacy of faith, these are just some of the ways that we can direct our lives to experience all that God would have for us in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth that is found in it. We ask that as we think about this, this, this scripture over the week, that, that you would bring to our mind the things that, that, are, that are needed for us and where we are in our spiritual lives, that you will illuminate different things in this passage that are needed for us through the power of your spirit. And God, that, that we would live a life that reflects your character, that reflects your, your principles and a life that leaves a legacy of faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.